Hello, welcome to Seek the Word Ministry Podcast. Seek the Word is a ministry dedicated to biblical truth, scriptural theology, and sound doctrine. I'm your host, Brandon Ritchie, pastor of Grace Community Christian Church in Plymouth, Indiana. And I know we've been on break for uh, a few weeks, actually. Um, so this is a, a new season for us. And when we last left, our, our, our last broadcast um, started our our trip down, down five biblical principles. And the, the first one, uh, if you refer back to our last podcast, which I, I think was, I, I think was that back in July, um, yeah, it was. It was in uh, July, and that was on total depravity. And we looked at man's complete and utter depravity and his need for God. And today, I, I want to look at the the concept of of unconditional election. Um, now, it's interesting. This is often times referred to as um, predestination. Uh, and it's very controversial. It's a very controversial doctrine. And so we want to to take this um, slowly and walk through it uh, and, and come to an understanding that if, if you're within the bounds of Orthodox Christianity, you believe in predestination. You, you have to because it is a biblical doctrine. It is in the Bible. Now, it's what you believe or your view on predestination, that which may vary from from others or from from church to church. But if someone says that they they and they they've read the scriptures and they don't see it in there, and that uh, they don't believe in predestination, then then more than likely they they may be outside Orthodox Christianity, and we need to be aware of that. Now, if someone says they don't believe in predestination. Um, we need to, to, to clarify or ask some questions um, on if they don't believe or if maybe maybe they just have a different view of it. But we can't ignore it. It's in the scriptures. It is definitely a biblical doctrine. And so we're going to look at that today. Now, everyone believes in some form or every one within Orthodox Christianity would believe in some form of, of predestination or unconditional or, or of election, should I say. It's our view, and we stand on the Reformed view, obviously, being a Reformed theology, uh, of God's unconditional election, that he elects um, unconditionally based on, on his sovereignty alone. Nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do to earn it, we don't deserve it. Um, we can't purchase it in any way, shape, or form. It is solely left to God's sovereignty. And, and so the scriptures that we want to we look at in this, um, I want to start in, in Ephesians 1.4, which is, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We see that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, so he chose us before the foundation of the world. And, and there's, there's an emphasis on two different things there. First off, that he is the one who chose, not us. We did not choose him. He chose us. And when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. 
I say this because oftentimes people look at predestination. They, they see that in the scriptures. They see the term. And we're going to look at verses where the, that term is actually in there. Yes, that term is in the Bible, as is the term elect. Uh, oftentimes people don't realize that. But sometimes predestination, uh, when, when people are describing, especially of the more Arminian slant, it's this view that God is above time and he looks down the corridor of time to find out who is going to accept him. And those are the ones then that he calls or, or has predestined. Uh, the problem with that, though, is, is that's heretical because that is saying that there's something God didn't know. And he had to find it out. He had to look down the corridor of time and find it out. And that's, a, that's a real dangerous place to be because, as we know, the Scripture describes God as being all-knowing and all-powerful and omniscient and omnipotent and so and, 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 and righteous and, and completely sovereign. So in Ephesians 1.4, we see that even as he chose us in him, and when did he do that? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. If we go over to John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He clearly states that you did not choose me as he's, he's talking to, to his disciples. They did not choose him. He chose them. He, being Jesus, also being God, chose them and appointed them. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's a very interesting scripture there because it says as many as were appointed to eternal life, believe it does not say everybody in that crowd. It says, "It says as many as were appointed." Well, we saw in Ephesians one four. I'm getting a message here. We saw in Ephesians one four that even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so He chose us before the foundation of the world. So we were appointed, or these people would have been appointed before the foundations of the world to eternal life. And, and those are the ones who believed. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is not your doing. Listen, if, if I could choose on my own, then that would be of my own doing. I would make this, the, the decision. And it wouldn't be by grace. It would be of a work of choice. Ephesians 1.5. This is, this is a great one here. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It says right there, Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us. That's the actual term. So when anybody says, oh, I don't believe in predestination, but it's in the Bible. So you would have to. So oftentimes it's just what they believe about predestination or their view of predestination. But Ephesians 1.5, there's he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now the word predestined in and of itself, pre meaning before, 
destin, meaning destination. So before your destination. So before our destination, before we, we had a destination, he adopted us. So, so before we had a, a destination of our, of our own making, he knew. And he adopted us, a son through Jesus Christ. And why did he do that? What says right here in the, the, the second part of that verse of Ephesians 1, 5, according to the purpose of his will, not our will. You know, the concept of free will that, that many people carry is a very pagan view of free will. From a young child, we're told um, that that we have this, this free will. And so we've carried that into, into our our into our, our faith and into our, our, our theology and our doctrine. And, and listen, we do have a will, but that will was completely corrupted at the fall. Every part of us was corrupted at the fall. We were completely and totally depraved. You can refer back to the totally depraved aspect uh, or, or the, the totally depraved podcast we did back in July. But and, and see the scriptures there of, of our total depravity. Everything about us is totally corrupt, including our will. It would never choose God on its own. Anytime we read about our will in scripture, it's typically the negative, but it's always for God's will. It's God's will. Always. Second Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. He chose you. God chose you. You did not choose God. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's that term predestined again. It's a, it's a term that brings up a lot of controversy, a lot of ugliness uh, in our in, in churches and, and in our with brothers and sisters in Christ at times or people of different theological views. I mean, people people will really, really uh, have a hard time and a hard struggle uh, with this. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, wait a minute. It says for, for his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So he gave us grace. We were already... But before the ages began, because he already knew, because he had already predestined who was coming to Christ, who was going to, he already predestined who he was going to call to Christ. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but it is, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, we have to understand that 2 Peter is not written to non-believers. It is, it is, he is writing this to believers, number one. That's very important that we contextualize all of our scripture on who the author is, obviously Peter, and he's writing to 
believers, people who are saved, who are the elect. And we have to understand that one of the things he's addressing here in 2 Peter was this belief that people were saying, well, if Jesus is coming back, look how, you know, he if he's coming back, the world's so bad. Why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he coming back? The world is so bad. And as we look at that, that verse in second Peter, um, Peter's assuring them, the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So it seems like it's slow. You know, they're watching the sky. They're waiting for Jesus. Why doesn't Jesus come back? Why isn't Jesus coming back? I mean, the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, he says, but he's patient towards you. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, he's addressing believers, the elect. He's addressing, if you look at this entire passage, and I, and I, I encourage you to look at Second Peter 3 as a whole, that the any that any should perish. He's talking about his people, those whom he's going to call. Peter's assuring them that, listen, there are other people in the world that he's not yet drawn out, that he has not yet called, and he's going to. So if he came back now, he hasn't yet called all of his people. And not just here, Peter's, this isn't just a, a here and now, but there are people who will be born 200 years from now, as you know, that, that, that he will call out, that are, are are going to be his. So um, this this concept, we see this even today of people going, oh, I just wish Jesus would come back now, or Jesus needs to come back now, or why isn't Jesus coming back? Why isn't Jesus coming back? Well, the reason he hasn't come back is because there's still people, some people haven't even been born yet, I'm sure, that, 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 that God will draw out at some point in their life and draw to him and draw to, to, to Christ. Seems slow to us, but not to him. Very patient, actually. And he's very patient with us. He shouldn't draw us at all. We're sinners. We're lowly sinners. We've been in rebellion to him. We don't deserve to be drawn to his son, Jesus Christ. We don't deserve salvation. First Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the ex excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness. And you see first Peter and second Peter written to the same group of people, Christians, believers. And he's telling you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He wouldn't be writing that to non-believers. Ephesians 1.11, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And there we see that term predestined again. It's in the scripture. It is a doctrine. We, we, we can't just ignore it. Uh, I challenge you to read Romans 9. Romans 9 is just this uh, amazing, I would argue, you know, for me personally, it's my favorite chapter of scripture. Um, but Romans 9, Paul lays out the, the, the complexities uh, and also um, just lays out the concept of unconditional election as, as well as you will ever hear it written or, or see it written or hear it spoke. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, I mean, if I give a gospel presentation to five people at the same time, as five people sitting on a park bench, and I just give the gospel presentation to them, and they all hear the same gospel presentation, they all hear the same words, and they leave, and then the next day, two of them respond, they call back, or they come back, and they're like, hey, you know what you were saying yesterday, and the other three never do. Why did two of them get it, and the other three couldn't? Because they were smarter? Then they could say, man, I'm, I'm glad if I made the right choice to come to, to come to God. Sorry for those poor saps who didn't make the right choice. They could boast then. It has nothing to do with them. They respond because they were drawn. Romans 8, 28. And we know this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He calls us. He calls us. And he, why would he call somebody he knows would never come to him? He's all-knowing. He knows who's coming to him and who's not. How does he know that? Well, because he elected them, obviously, before the foundations of the world. John 6, 37. All that the, this is Jesus all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me. The Father has given Jesus those who will come to him. Why? Because he, he, he predestined them. They are the elect. First Thessalonians uh, 1.4 For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. You notice that we're never seeing like you chose him, like thank goodness you chose him. Count your blessings that you chose to come to God. It's always he chose us. Jesus even says in John 6:44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That's John 6:44. That's Jesus's own words. I say this all the time when people want to debate this. You're, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with Jesus. You're arguing with the scripture, the word of God. Luke 18, 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Look, And will not God give justice to his elect? This is in the scripture. There's no denying this is a biblical doctrine. We can't ignore this. We can't just shuffle around it, ignore it's not there, teach everything else but that. Seems to be the, the, the popular view and what people are trying to accomplish today. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, this is, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, God is all knowing. God knew us before he formed us in the womb. He's telling Jeremiah that before I formed you in the womb, I, I knew you. I knew exactly everything that was going to happen to you. I, I knew what was going to happen in your life. To say that somehow God's got this plan, and, and then people can choose one way or the other. 
And, and man, if you choose the wrong way, does that throw God's plan off? God, I have to go, oh, well, I was hoping he was going to choose me, but he didn't. So I've now got to curve my plan. I got to, I got to do something else here. No, when we say that people have this ability to choose or not to choose God, it, it puts the power of salvation in that person's hands. We're completely and totally corrupted at the fall. We're depraved. As Paul says in, in Romans 3, no one is good. No one seeks for God. I mean, we're on our own in our natural state. We do not seek for God. Now, some people can want the benefits of God. Some people can see that there are benefits to being in a church and want that, but they're not truly being drawn. It's all about them. That's what they're looking for, the things that benefit them. Romans 8.33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. This is a, this is a great question. Who could, who could bring any charge against God's elect? You know, how could you say, why, why are these people elect? Why are, why, why are some chosen and some not? It's God who justifies. So no one can bring something, well, you're saved. You're saved and I'm, and I'm not. So, you know, why are you saved and I'm not? You know what? No one's saved because of their own doing. It's God who justifies. He's the justifier. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. You get 1 Peter 2.8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It's talking about their people who were, were they, they were destined to stumble and not obey the word because they were never going to be called. They were never going to be drawn. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you don't you choose to suffer for Christ. It's been granted to you. And then people, people will say things like, well, why would God create someone or people he's never going to draw? Well, just because he's not going to draw them doesn't mean that he still doesn't use them for his will. And he uses all things for his glory. If we go back to the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel that were, was the only people under the covenant. They were the only people who had the covenant with God. But there were other people on the earth. But they could, they could never have faith. Only the nation of Israel. And so... You had the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, God had created them, and he created them knowing good and well who they were and knowing good and well before he created them that they weren't going to be covered under that, the Abrahamic covenant. But he still used them for a purpose. He had them enslave the nation of Israel. He used them when, when the nation of Israel 
uh, um, suffered from idolatry, turned away from from God. When the nation of Israel was disobedient, now God knew all that was going to happen. So he created the Assyrians and the Babylonians knowing, because he's all-knowing. He knew that all that was going to happen before he ever created anyone. If he didn't, he's not all-knowing. We cannot say we believe he's all-knowing and saying there's things that God has to find out or things that are throw a curveball to God. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He made us alive, not us. We didn't choose to come alive. Listen, Lazarus, when he came out of that grave, did not choose to come out of that grave. He was dead. He didn't even know he was in the grave. We cannot choose to come out of, of, of our grave when we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead sinners apart from God. We don't even know that we're spiritually dead. We would never choose to come out of that grave. Listen, this is, this is a repeated concept throughout all of Scripture. So this, this concept of, of free will, where, where does this come in at? Well, I mean, we could go back to, to Charles Finney. Uh, who was known as the father of free will. He was a Methodist pastor uh, out of New York. And uh, we, could, we could look at, at all kinds of these views that have gone back to the Arminian view and, or even further back to like a semi-Pelagianist view or a Pelagianist view. Unconditional election is, is, a, is a doctrine that's usually held but in the Augustinian theology. Um, so, which is, is, is reformed theology. But listen, this is, this is not one that in a, in a culture where church has become this, this culturally friendly, let's pack thousands into our buildings. And it's all about getting people in the seats and butts in the seats and money in the plate and people coming back and people leaving happy and people being satisfied and, and churches doing surveys to see what people like and what people don't like about service. In that kind of culture, the doctrine of unconditional election isn't real popular because people may not like to hear that. People may not like to hear that, oh, it's up to God. It's not up to me. We all like things, we're, we're, especially here in America. We've been indoctrinated with this view that everything about us matters. Our, our choice matters. Your choice really, really matters. It's all about you. It's all about you. And that's really what the, the Arminian and free will concept does. It puts everything on you, puts the power in your hands. The power of salvation is in your hands to choose. You want to choose to be saved? Choose to be saved. If you want to Choose to not be saved, choose to not be saved. But that does not align anywhere with Scripture. There's no scriptural backing for that. And then that also takes the, the power of salvation away from God. It's God who chooses. And he chose before the foundations of the world. Not based on anything we could do or that we deserve it. Not based on on any of those those things 
based on his sovereignty and his sovereign will, because it's his will that will be done. And it's all done for his glory. This is a tough doctrine for many people to, to hear because many people have never heard it before. It's been it's been one of those doctrines that that if you go to a church and the church is just giving you, you know, as Hebrews six talks about uh, or Hebrews, uh, the end of Hebrews five going into six, where it talks about where you've just been giving getting milk. You just are the basics. You've got to mature past the basics that you came in with. It's time for you to have meat. So, so these are these are doctrinal concepts in Scripture, but so many churches want to hide from them because, hey, that might make people uncomfortable. People might leave and not come back. Well, people left when Jesus was teaching. They said this teaching's too hard, and they cut out. Jesus didn't go running after them and say, "Well, if the teaching's too hard, let me change the teaching. Let me just talk about basic things that you can you can understand easier and that you accept." No. The church needs to step up in this country and start teaching biblical truth and biblical doctrine to people. It's time to start teaching the meat of the scriptures, not just pouring milk for people. Sadly, that, that we've created this watered-down, wishy-washy uh, group of people that claim to be Christian. But when it comes time, they, they buckle in their view and they accept anything because they really don't know what to think. They really don't know how to believe because nobody's teaching them actual biblical doctrine. They're teaching them just the basics. They're just giving them milk. Now, some of them can't. Some of them cannot mature past the milk. Look at look at Hebrews. Here, look at if you've got a Bible handy, go go to Hebrews. Go to the the, the end of Hebrews five is is absolutely a, a, a astounding. As we get Hebrews five uh, eleven through fourteen, this warning against apostasy. And apostasy is is when we have faith or someone claims to have faith in something, but then turns away from it and denounces it. Starting with verse 11, five, uh, Hebrews 5, 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's saying, you ought to be teachers by now, but guess what? We've got to go back to the basics with you again. He says, you, you still need, you need milk, not solid food. He said, you still need milk. You should have been graduated to solid food, but you still need milk. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Flowing right into six, then, he keeps the same theme up. Therefore, let us leave. Therefore, when, when anytime you see the word therefore, what comes just before it, the section just before it, is important. So this section here in, in five, 11 through 14, is tied Right into verse six, there's, there's no separation. It goes runs right into it. Therefore, 
let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The author here is telling, telling them that, that let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. This isn't to leave Christianity. This is to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Leave, leave the basics that you came in with. You've got to grow past those basics. You came in with some real basics. And of course, the audience here is Jewish. And the Jewish audience, they came in, they, they would have come in with an Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament basics of the gospel. And so they really kind of had an advantage over the Gentiles because, and this is going to come into play here in just a few lines, but they had the advantage in the fact that they already had the background of being raised with and taught this from, from birth, the, the basics coming from the Old Testament. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. He's saying, saying now, now you came in with the basics. It's time to mature past that. This not laying again a foundation of, so not laying again a foundation of, okay, if you're building a house, if you're building a house, you wouldn't keep, once you have the foundation laid, you wouldn't keep building the foundation. You wouldn't stay just on the foundation. No. You, you got to start building up. You got to start building on the foundation. He's saying, you're wanting to keep just building the foundation. That's just the basics. You just want to hang right there with the basics. And today in Christianity, we see this in churches all the time. People come in and they just want to stay on milk. They want to stay on the basics. They, they want to keep working on the foundation. They don't want to build up on that foundation. And the, the church, they stay in churches that just feed milk, that never mature and pass the meat. And, and so many churches don't want to mature and pass milk or don't want to mature them to, to meet past the milk because they're going to realize something here, that they may not be able to mature past milk. And if they can't mature past milk and they just stay on that foundation, eventually they do leave and they do fall away. Why? Because they were never of us. Listen to this. Not laying again a foundation of repentance. And then he lists the six, the six basic principles from the Old Testament of, of, of that were the foundation of this, the gospel from there. Repentance from dead works, number one, and of faith towards God, number two, and of instruction about washings, number three, the laying on of hands, number four, the resurrection of the dead, number five, and eternal judgment. Those are the six basics. And really, those are, those are we could take a lot from those of the, the, the basics of today that people can come in with. They can intellectually get it. They can intellectually say they believe these things, but they can't mature past them because they don't have it spiritually. They're not drawn. They can just grasp the concepts of it intellectually, but they cannot grasp anything past this. Repentance, faith in God, instruction about washings. There was a lot of Levitical laws uh, about washing, outwardly washing, and because of uh, uh, to show an inwardly cleansing. So, in, in a, you know, you could almost correlate this to, to, to baptism. So, so today it would be like repentance, faith, baptism, laying on of hands, believe you have to believe in the resurrection, believe in eternal judgment. Okay, those are the six basics that people coming through the door with. We cannot leave them at those basics just on the foundation. We're to feed them and mature them past that milk. And then verse 3 comes, Hebrews 6, 3, 
And this we will do if God permits. You see, for those whom are called, God permits them to mature past the milk, past the basics. But if you're not called, you're not maturing past those basics because they're spiritually discerned. And you can't. You can't understand them. You can get the intellectual, but you can't get the spiritual side of it. See, he's saying that this this is the kind of stuff that when you start teaching the meat, when we start giving the meat, we're really going to start shaking it out here to see who's actually called and who's not. Those who just want to stay with the milk because they can't mature past the meat, well, they're eventually going to fall away, as you'll see. Verse 4, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared the Holy Spirit, Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. He said, like, it's impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have, who have actually intellectually, you've gotten everything that you could possibly get, but you can only get it intellectually. You, you've gotten the basics. You've gotten all the basics and all the foundation. You've been enlightened with that. And you've tasted that heavenly gift. You've gotten so close, but you can't mature past it. You can't mature past these basics. And, and it's only and you've shared in the Holy Spirit because it's only by the Holy Spirit. You could even get the basics. And this is not the first time we see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit will, can, can bring about conviction even in unbelievers and enlighten unbelievers. And you tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then verse 6, Hebrews 6, 6, it says, keeps going, and then have fallen away. They've fallen away because after they've so long of building the foundation, they just move on to other stuff because they can't build up. They can't, they can't build up. We see this in churches all the time. These people come and they're red hot, but they've only got the basics. But they just, they just want to come to church and hear this light, milky message. Don't challenge don't convict. Just let me feel good about being here. We're here for the big slide going down to the kids' room. We're here for 32 flat screen TVs. We're here for a laser light show and a fog machine. And we're here for the gimmicks. So we just want milk. We, we, we understand the basics. Just tell us about Jesus on the cross. That's it. Just, just tell us Jesus went to the cross for us. And, and he wants us to be happy and wants us to live this good life. That's all they want because they can't mature past that. And eventually what ends up happening is they just move on. They leave. It says to restore them again to repentance. So it's impossible once they've fallen away to restore them again to repentance. And the reason why is because it, they were never... They were never at a place. They were never saved. It's just since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For I love verse 7 and 8 here. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. So the land being us, like the, for, for people who have drunk the rain that often falls on it, the, the biblical truth, the, 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 the gospel, the, the truth and, and, and depth, okay? It's cultivated, receives, uh, um, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. 
Well, for the sake of who's cultivated is God. So the soil of the hearts have been cultivated by the Holy Spirit. So, so for those who, who, who the, the truth has fallen on and they produce good fruit, they produce a crop that's useful, they receive a blessing from God. And then verse 8, but if it, it being the land that has the, drunk the rain that often falls on it, so if, for it, for, for if it, 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 it's the, those would be the people, the correlation of the people who, who get the same things as the others, but they can't mature past. It says, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is a direct callback to Jesus' parable of the vineyard and the vines and the, the pruning. You know, when the branches that produce fruit he takes care of, and, and the ones that don't produce fruit, he cuts off and throws into the fire. He prunes away. It's the same here. For those who the truth and, and it falls on and produces um, a, a crop useful, they 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 want depth. They stay. They receive a blessing. That blessing is is more more of that truth and, and deeper and depth and meat. They want more than than milk. But for those who that same teaching, the same truths of the, the fall on, but they, they don't get it. They can't mature past that they bear thorns and thistles. It says it's worthless and it near to being cursed and it's the, its end is to be burned. Only those whom God has elected, predestined unconditionally by his sovereignty, Come in with the basics, with the milk, and mature to the meat. The others don't. This is, this is the doctrine of unconditional election, that we only those whom God has sovereignly elected will come to his son and to saving faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus again says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those are the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the doctrine of unconditional election. We thank you for listening. And if you are in the Plymouth area, and you don't have a church or are looking to visit a church, we want to invite you to Grace Community Christian Church, 612 East Jefferson Street here in Plymouth, Indiana. We want to thank you and God bless.